Today on Season 3, Episode 22 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, Bryce welcomes Matt Schneidman of The Athletic to the UPP studio. Bryce explores Matt's roots in journalism and how he began his relationship with the Packers. We talk his favorite moment while covering the Packers, as well as players he most enjoys talking to. Matt also takes us through what COVID may mean for training camp and beyond. Which players have the most approved this upcoming season? Is it possible Aaron Rodgers made that list? Listen in and find out. And now it's time for Matt Schneidman on tap. so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Touchdown! Dagger! Al Harris, 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Go Packers! Running isn't everything, but it's the only thing. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, yellow. Unknown Packers podcast. Green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow, green and yellow. And let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for Matt Schneidman on tap, our Green Bay Packers beat writer of The Athletic. How are you doing, Matt? Good, Bryce. Really appreciate you having me on. How are you? I'm doing great, and I appreciate you uh, finding time to come on and talk about the Green Bay Packers. My hope is that people that tune in, one, are already subscribing to The Athletic, or two, um, haven't yet, and this will maybe spark a little bit more, I guess, uh, subscriptions coming your way. But like I said, thank you so much for taking time. And I'm really curious more about you. Everyone here at the Unknown Packers podcast follows you. We have a subscription. Uh, tune in on a regular basis to wherever you're appearing. And uh, it's a little surreal to have you on right now and talk to you. But I'm really curious about your start as a journalist. Uh, have you always wanted to be a journalist? And can you expand on your journalism journey? Yeah, so I, I started writing, I believe it was my sophomore, junior year of high school. Um, I'm from a small town okay. in Connecticut called Wilton, Connecticut. From there, did, were you always interested in sports journalism? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I began writing kind of sophomore, junior year of high school in Wilton, Connecticut for a couple small local publications writing about, you know, girls high school lacrosse, softball, and just really small stuff. And it was always sports because I was always interested in sports. I was a big sports guy. I played sports in high school, but it was never good enough to play D1. Um, I, I always okay. had a knack for writing and I was decent at it. So it, it really took off to the next level when I, I got into Syracuse and that communication school there. Um, but it wasn't really the communication school that, that helped me become a better writer. It was the Daily Orange, which is, I can humbly say is, is by far and away the best student newspaper in the country. You know, it's produced writers like Jeff Pass and you see him on, on ESPN every day talking about baseball, Pete Thamel, who's the, the national college sports writer for Yahoo, Greg Bishop, who's written every single one of the Sports Illustrated Super Bowl cover stories in recent memory. Eli Saslow, who's won Pulitzers for the Washington Post, Jesse Doherty, who is the Washington Nationals beat writer for the Washington Post, and I could go on and on. It, Michael Cohen, who was the Packers beat writer before yeah. me, all, all those guys, and many, many more that I'm forgetting, came out of the DO, and, and all those guys at, at some point or another have given me advice, read over a story, uh, you know, provided housing for me on a road trip when I've gone to write a story. And that's really what has helped me become 
a better journalist, a better sports journalist is reading all those guys, communicating with them, them helping me out through my career. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to improve, cover some good sports, work as an editor at, at, in college and very lucky to, to get a job covering the Oakland Raiders for the Bay Area News Group, a, a chain of newspapers out in California. Uh, shortly after college, I interned for the Buffalo News and then got that job covering the Raiders for two years. And um, then very fortunate to, to get this job out here covering the Packers. I say out here, I'm in Connecticut right now, have been for the past couple months. But yeah, that, that's pretty much how I got here. Uh, like like you said, I've always really had a passion for sports, love playing them, love watching them, grew up a diehard Yankees, New York Giants, New York Knicks, Syracuse fan. Really, the Yankees are the only team I, I'm a diehard for anymore. But <laughs> yeah, always had a knack for writing, always sports. So I thought this would be the best way to combine the two. Well, that's awesome. I, and that was actually one of my next questions was uh, what what sports teams do you, do you support? And um, you've been, you know, I'm not trying to stroke your ego in any way. I'm being genuine and sincere. But you've been such a great addition uh, to the Packers beat. And it's been, you know, we've been doing the podcast now for about three years and I say it on every episode where I I miss that reckless abandonment that I used to have as a fan, those knee-jerk reactions. And since we've been doing the podcast for the last three years, those have essentially dissipated because the more you know, the more you network, the more you can get a holistic view of the Green Bay Packers. And so first and foremost, you've been an exciting addition, something that I look forward to as reading as well. I'm curious, how did you... Was did the Green Bay Packers? Did you have your eyes um, set on them? Was it your connection with Michael Cohen? I'm I'm curious. Is there any information that you can share about how you were able to then uh, get hired from the Athletic and then cover the Green Bay Packers? Yeah. So I um, was in Oakland, San Francisco area, Bay Area for 2018, 2017 season, 2018 season, and then um, I knew these. Uh, NFL editor at The Athletic, Lisa Wilson. She's the head of the NFL team <laughs> because she was the Buffalo News sports editor who hired me for my internship right after college. Um, and it was about a couple weeks before training camp last summer. Paul Fichtenbaum, who used to be the chief content officer, I think, for Sports Illustrated. I'm looking it up right now because I want to get his title right. But um <laughs> Yeah, he was he was formerly the editor in chief of Sports Illustrated. Now he's the chief content officer for the Athletic. He reached out to me. That, uh, I mean, I knew Michael had had moved on, but I had never reached out to him and said, "Hey, can you hook me up with this? You know, can you do me a favor here?" Paul Fichtenbaum reached out to me and said, "What what would be your interest in this? We want to talk to you about this position." Because, um, like I said, I already knew Lisa fairly well, and it I I got. I'll say fortunate because I was 24 then, but I'm 20, just turned 25. Uh, I'm so fortunate to be at a place like the Athletic, covering a team like the Packers. And I've always said, as a writer, it's kind of touching on what you said. You, you don't necessarily root for the team. Like I grew up a diehard Syracuse basketball fan because my dad went there. Um, I grew up mm -hmm. a diehard New York Giants fan, but covering Syracuse basketball uh, as a reporter every day, covering the NFL. As much as I hate it sometimes because I can't, you know, go back and forth with my with my friends that I grew up with arguing with them about these teams. You know, you're, you're it's kind of ingrained in you to be objective about these teams and come mm -hmm. at everything with an unbiased perspective. So that's why I say the only team I'm 
I'm really a diehard for anymore is the Yankees. Um, but yeah, I got very fortunate coming in here covering the Packers. You want a team you cover to be relevant. Covering the Raiders, they were relevant just for different reasons. You know, John Gruden <laughs> was hired. Jack Del Rio was fired. Their GM yeah. was fired. Khalil Mack was traded. They had Martavis Bryant was suspended for a whole year. Like you had all this stuff and it was, they were always in the news and, and the Raiders like the Packers, like the Steelers, like the Patriots, Eagles, probably five, six, seven teams in the NFL have these global fan bases. And that's what I love about the Packers is I, I want to cover a team where people truly care about what I write and no shade meant at the Chargers or the Jaguars, but teams like those, <laughs> I obviously wouldn't turn down a job covering them if I was, you know, offered that in prior years. But I can't be at a better position now covering a team like the Packers with the fan base they have, how relevant they are. Um, so, yeah, th that's kind of how I ended up here. And living in Green Bay has been different, I would say. You know, I'm from a small town in Connecticut, but I spent a lot of time in New York City. I was born there. Um, it, okay. It's kind of similar to Syracuse, where I was for four years in college in terms of the weather. But, you know, I, I've loved everything about it. I don't need a huge city. On, an, on a daily basis. And Green Bay has been perfect for that. I love that answer. And yeah, it, I, I'm always curious. And as, as we've gotten, you know, as we've evolved as a podcast, we've had different writers and, and podcasters. And I'm always curious because, you know, the route you go professionally, I, you know, I have my own professional job and I do this um, enthusiastically and I'm, I do this as a hobby as well with, with, with the hope of um, down the road, hopefully seeing what happens. Maybe I turn that into a professional job of some sorts. But the thing that I admire the most is uh, the ability to stay objective, uh, especially with with your writing. And uh, in, in the second half of my Matt Schneidman on tap, there are three or four questions that I'm really excited to talk to you about, about your recent articles. I'm curious, though, is there a moment that sticks out to you football-wise um, since you've been covering the Green Bay Packers? That's a good question. A moment that sticks out. I mean, I think the the Jordan Love pick was probably the most shocked I've been covering the team. <laughs> but I will say, and it, it, I don't want this to sound, you know, fanboyish, but, you know, being a 24-year-old covering an NFC championship game was pretty cool. You know, I love traveling and going to different places across the country and covering these games. And, you know, traveling back to San Francisco or Santa Clara, I should say, seeing everyone I used to work mm -hmm. with in the Bay Area. And covering a game where it was one game away from, you know, I'm 24 and uh, I could be covering a Super Bowl here in two weeks. I'm not saying, oh, look at me, but I'm saying, you know, that that's just awesome and, and it's a cool experience. And, you know, I have a couple friends. I mentioned Jesse Doherty earlier, Sam Fortier, who is now the Redskins beat writer for the Washington Post, but he was covering the Nationals with Jesse. They got to cover a World Series. That's really cool. And, you know, I do this job for to be able to tell the stories, but also for the experiences and, and the games I cover. So I love covering big games and, uh, you know, the pressure it puts on me to deliver because everyone is watching an NFC championship game. How do I give them something that they didn't see on TV or can't see in a box score? So seeing all the national writers who I've read for years and years and looked up to and I see on TV and on these big sites every day, seeing them in the press box with me saying, all right, I got to up my game because I don't want to get lost in the shuffle here. And I want to write something better than them. Seeing them at big games and, and covering a game like that is is really cool and challenging and, and pressure filled. And 
that's what I like about this job. So I would say probably that NFC championship game is is the coolest thing I've done so far. And I had I you know, I would I knew that you had graduated or you were a daily orange alum uh, 2017. So myself and uh, Nebels, uh, Neil Margison, who's our producer and sound engineer, and then Ken Ingalls, who uh, we just recently acquired, if you will, as our co-host. Um, last night, I had asked them any questions uh, for Matt Schneidman. And one of them was, how old is Matt? <laughs> and so I had guessed 25. Correct. But I also went I, w- I also went back to school when I was 30. And so I was like, well, maybe, maybe he went to school a little bit later. So for you to be 24, 25, and like you said, um, I really appreciate your fact of being grounded and being humble. And I would hope that no one would perceive uh, what you just said as as gloating in any shape or form. But yeah, as a 24, 25-year-old covering the Green Bay Packers year one um, with Matt LaFleur, all these different storylines um, knocking on the doorstep. Um, what a cool experience. I vividly remember uh, what you wrote afterwards. And like I said, um, it's just been such a, I don't know, a, a breath of fresh air, your writing style. And that's not a knock on Michael Cohen or any other of the beat writers, but there's just something that uh, gr- that I gravitate to and to hear your response on how seriously you take it. It's evident. And so uh, thank you so much for for what you do. And I, and I love the fact that you said not only is it compensation, I'm paraphrasing, but also the experiences as well. So I love that answer. And as we as we wrap up uh, the first half of Matt Schneidman on tap, um, I'm not sure if you're able to answer this, but I'm really curious. Uh, do you have a favorite player uh, that you like to cover or watch for the Green Bay Packers? I wouldn't say a favorite player I like to watch. I'll go the route of a couple players I like talking to the most in the locker room, if that's okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. Jair Alexander is probably my favorite. Um, I got to know him a little bit just because I think it was one day I was wearing my Syracuse, I was wearing a Syracuse shirt in the locker room and he went to Louisville and, and I covered a couple games where he totally stomped on, on Syracuse when Lamar Jackson was their quarterback. So we kind of went back and forth about that. We're, we're kind of the same age and he's probably a guy, a, a rule of thumb I have as, as a reporter is, you know, three out of every four, four out of every five times you talk to a player should be just with, with your recorder in your pocket. You shouldn't be interviewing them because you don't want every time you go up to one of these guys to be when you're sticking your recorder in their face because, you know, this job is about relationships. And, you know, yeah, I'm there to do a job and get quotes and write a story and they understand that. But at the same time, I'm a human just like them. And, and they're humans just like us with a job to do. So we have to respect that. And I don't want to seem like a leech coming off and, you know, just snagging quotes every time or sticking a recorder in Aaron Rodgers' face. So I'll just, pardon my language, shoot the shit with Jair as, as often as possible. He's a, he's a good, fun guy to talk to, a young, energetic personality. And then when I need him, I'll say, you mind if, if I record this or whatever? But I'd say Jair... Aaron for Aaron Rodgers, I should say for a different Mm -hmm. reason, because I feel like I learned something every time I talk to him. You know, obviously I don't have one-on-one conversations with him all the time, but um, I learn a lot. He's so smart and cerebral. And if you really Mm -hmm. listen to it every time he talks 15, 20 minutes, twice a week, you learn stuff. Um, Aaron Jones, just because he's such a nice guy and says, sir, every time you ask a question and, Kind of represents uh, the no new kidding. young energy that the that the team has. 
those those uh, Zedarius Smith is probably the last one. He he's he's the guy I probably got to know the best this past year just because uh, I wrote kind of his life story, talked to a bunch of people right. who knew him. Um, so I kind of developed that trust with him, and, and he seems like like a great guy that honestly I think transformed the culture of the locker room. And and if I can do my part in writing stories like that to give you guys, give the fans a better understanding of who these players are beyond what you see on TV, then then I think I'm, I'm hopefully doing my job well. And I think with with uh, with Aaron, the story I did with him naming his touchdown partners and, and Z, the story I did about how he went from, you know, locked in a jail cell at age 13 to last chance you to now being a Packers captain in his first year with the team. You know, those those are some of my favorite stories to write because they have, really don't have much to do with what happened during a game. They have more to do with how these guys got here and and giving everyone a look at them beyond what they'd normally see. So those are the kinds of stories I like to write. And I'd say those four guys, Jones, Smith, Rogers, Alexander, are probably the four I enjoy talking to the most. I, I really appreciate you know, your approach and I don't know, just that human perspective, like you said, right at the beginning of our episode, talking about or you know, talking about Jair and saying that you don't want to stick a recorder in his face. And I, um, it, my regular job, I, if you will, I'm a sign language interpreter and I've been kind of breaking down some barriers and, and getting involved in some professional sports. Oh, I know. And, I, I, I um, read the New York Times story. Oh, you did. Oh, sweet. Um, and yeah, so with, with the Bucks, and that's something that I've always been interested in is, you know, I respect my job so much that in, in return, I respect everyone else's career choice and everyone else's profession. And so being around reporters, the thing that I get a kick out of and while I'm interpreting their questions is how they relay the information or, or their cadence or um, their approach. And so it's refreshing again to to hear you articulate these answers because it definitely there's there's a life of itself within your writing that I think it, it comes to life and so I truly appreciate it. I feel like I have a, a similar approach as well going into professional sports and being a sign language interpreter and people being like, why is this guy here? Is he really here to break down barriers? Is he really here to provide access, or is he here to get a little win win? Uh, situation, get a little more experience or, I don't know, manipulate the situation so I can be around players and reporters and that couldn't be far from the truth. But like I said, uh, I really appreciate your answers and um, taking the time to come on the podcast. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back for the second half. Matt Schneidman on tap. This episode is brought to you by Sonic Transformation. Here at Sonic Transformation, we believe that every good audio project starts with a good foundation. We want to help you build that foundation. Whether it be through commercial products or things you have around the house, no job is too big or small. We can make your podcast sound the best it can with what you have and a little nudging along the way. No equipment? No problem. Our consultants can help you get set up on your budget and in your space. Do you already have an established podcast but don't have the time to edit or just wish it sounded better? We can take care of that for you as well. Check us out at www.sonictransformation.com. Again, that's www.sonictransformation.com. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined.
are back for the second half of Matt Schneidman on tap. And the first half, we talked about your start, how you got involved in journalism, some of the stories that you've covered, your experience so far as um, a Green Bay Packers beat writer. I had no idea that you read um, the New York Times article that I was featured in. So you can't see me, but I'm blushing and I'm flattered. (laughs) Thank you so much uh, for that support. Right off the bat, in your most recent article, you had, uh, quote, five pressing questions for the Packers to address when training camp begins, end quote. Can you highlight and go into detail what changes have been made due to COVID-19? You've got this invisible virus that is visibly wreaking havoc. And uh, for me, that's on the that's on the top of the list. I'm really curious. You, you highlighted it in your article, but maybe some people don't have a subscription. For everyone that is listening, please subscribe to The Athletic and Matt Schneidman. But I'm really curious out. Uh, could you go into detail with COVID-19 and what does that look like for training camp? What does that look like um, when we embark on this 2020-2021 football season? Yeah, it, it's not finalized yet just because the NFLPA needs to sign off on it. But it, it'll look something like what I wrote about, what the NFL kind of proposed as their return to play plan. Um, th- some of the big differences, and, and I'm reading off the story here so people don't need to go click on it if they, they're listening and already already read it. Um, the locker rooms need to be reconfigured and and this shouldn't be too big of a problem for Lambeau just because it's such a big facility and a big locker room so that players are at least six feet apart from each other, which is going to be interesting, especially with 90 guys, um, and tryout guys coming in and, and before the roster gets cut down to 53, the in-person meetings at the facility need to be limited to no more than 20 people, I believe. And then, uh, no more than 14 people are allowed in, in the weight room at one time. So those are two things that will change drastically from seasons prior. A little more work for the equipment staff. Shout out to Red Batty, uh, who's the, the Packers head of equipment and a loyal athletic subscriber, mainly for the hockey content he's told me before. But nice. him and his staff are going to have a lot of extra work on their hands, sanitizing helmets, shoulder pads, mouth guards, you know, towels, water bottles that people can't share and use and and just doing extra work on all those. Prepackaged meals will be served to players instead of the traditional buffets so that they're not, you know, sharing utensils and stuff like that, sharing serving mm-hmm. utensils. And, you know, players, coaches, staffers, wh- whoever has access to Lambo normally will be grouped into one of three tiers um, based on how much access they'll have to certain areas of the facility. So kind of how essential they are to the team, the organization, um, and, and where they can, you know, roam and, and walk in the building to, to kind of minimize the number of people who touch every single door handle in the facility. Okay. Um, in terms of testing, what the NFL's plan said was bef- two, 48 hours before you report to Lambeau. In this case, you'll have to take a COVID-19 test. If you test positive, um, they haven't really determined a, a specific, you know, uh, plan of action for what you do. If you test positive, I'm assuming it'll just be you quarantine for 14 days at home. Um, but really what it seems like, and I know fans will be interested in this is no fans at training camp. I still don't know mm-hmm. about the media. I doubt we're going to be allowed to be there in person, at least for the start of it. I still think we'll be able to travel for games and that the season will start on time, but you just never know, you know, what, what if we get there one day and 
and 13 Packers players, including Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, test positive a week before the season starts. Like, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, so I don't want to jump to conclusions on any of that. But, yeah, I, I think the team is going to keep its players in a bubble. So they're not going to have mm-hmm. any reporters in the locker room this season, I would guess. Um obviously makes our job harder, but that's the least of anyone's worries right now and understandably so. So I would say a lot of a lot of Zoom press conferences, a lot of watching stuff produced by the team on TV and mm-hmm. and a lot of just seeing the team stay separate from from everyone else to ensure that that players are sequestered as much as possible. When you mentioned red and you know head of equipment and I guess sanitation, uh, have have they? Oh, I mean, I would assume that they've always done that. I know the whole sharing of the water bottles and then the buffet—that's a big change. But when it comes to cleaning the mouth guards and and all the equipment, helmets, all that stuff—is that something that's always been routine, or have we have they not done? Have they not sanitized as well as they could have? I mean, I guess if I structured that. Oh no, no, I, I get what you're saying. I think they always have, but I think it'll be done more so. Like for example, in the past, I I don't wash my hands as often as I should, or you know, I won't hand sanitize whenever I see a bottle of Purell. But now I will. Like these are things that I did before, just not as much or as often as I have been for the past couple months. And I think that is the same thing as what will happen here. You know, maybe they put things through the wash twice instead of once, or, you know, they don't throw all the jerseys in one bin to put in the laundry or, or, you know, I don't know exactly what changes they'll make. I was hoping to talk to red kind of before training camp starts. What, once this plan is officially finalized, but yeah, I, I think as much as you can prevent players from sharing sweat, I mean, the funny thing about this is we can take all these precautions and teams can take all these precautions and equipment staffs can clean things 19 times, but players are still, this is football. Players are still coming into contact with each other. So I don't know how effective everything else will be if players are still touching each other and coming into contact mm-hmm. with, with each other on the field. But yeah, like these, you, you can't share the same water spout or you can't share the same towel. Those make sense, but I just don't know how effective those will be if they're still playing football. Um, I, I guess it's all about minimizing the the risk and, you know, you do, you, you take the risks where you have to. And I guess where you have to would be actually playing the game of football and not sharing a towel because that's easily avoidable. Um, but I'm interested to see kind of the exact measures put into place. Yeah, me too. And that's something that caught my eye. And that's the first thing that you had addressed in the five pressing questions and something that I felt like, you know, I haven't been really seeing a lot in the news talking about, you know, the NFL season. And it definitely seems like the level of awareness has increased, which is refreshing and I think should be automatic. But yeah, the the buffet, the the water bottle, uh, no more bike rides, mm-hmm. training camp. This will be the first year, I think. Whew. I don't know, since I was, I'm 37 now, so like th- 12, 11 that I've missed training camp. So it's, and like you said, it's the least of, of my worries, but I'm just so curious to see see what happens and how you prefaced right off the start if 13 or 14 players test positive, what's going to happen. And my work with the NBA, you know, you're we're getting closer and closer to, you know, the Disney world. And then you also have 
uh, what's going on with Black Lives Matter and the concern of that distracting and all that. Um, it's something that I'm really curious about, and I can't wait. I'm assuming if you talk to Red, that would probably be in, uh, something that you would publish then? Yeah, definitely. It, or am, it, I, am I jumping? No, I mean, yeah. if I if the Packers would be gracious enough to let me talk to him, I'd definitely write that. And how does that approach, I mean, would you, do you go through... Th- their, you know, point of contact and then they talk to Red and then it's confirmed? Or do you have like a conversation with Red and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this article, um, but I have to talk to the powers that be before we can get it confirmed? I don't have his contact information, so I'd go through Packers PR and that's normally how things... Gotcha. Uh, during the off season, you to talk to players, you know, I've talked to a couple guys one-on-one, but that normally goes through um, their agents or their marketing or, okay. or publicist people. Um, but any team employees, GM, president, equipment staffer, that would that would go through the team PR staff. Okay. I see. Well with the with the second question, um, you wrote two pieces uh, regarding racial discrimination and systemic racism, most notably with uh, Yash uh, Nijman, I hope I'm pronouncing his uh, name correctly. <laughs> Nyman, thank you so much. And uh, Billy Turner as well. Uh, can you extrapolate on that a little bit for the people that um, may not have subscriptions? Um, what were some takeaways during those interviews, especially with Billy Turner and uh, Yash Nyman? Yeah, I think I saw Corey Lindsley tweet uh, a couple of weeks ago that the offensive line had a meeting together and Billy Turner and, and Yash Nyman were kind of two speakers in that meeting who, I don't want to say inspired Corey, but made him feel like it was the right thing to to put out a statement, tweet about everything that's going on in this country. So I reached out to the agents for Billy and Yash and, and kind of had separate conversations with them. Billy is obviously a relevant voice here because he's a Minneapolis native or right outside Minneapolis. He grew up and went to high school. He's an African-American man and, you know, Seeing what happened to George Floyd, I thought he'd have some interesting thoughts on that. So I think I don't want to paraphrase or, or speak for him or try and recall exactly what he told me, but I think it's an illuminating read because a lot of us, myself included, whether it's because of our skin color, obviously I'm white, so I, I don't know what he's gone through. I won't pretend to know what he's gone through. Um, so it's important just to listen and understand and, and experience the hardships and the pain and the emotions he's gone through, um, not only in the past couple of weeks, but his entire life growing up. Um, so basically the, the crux of what he said when I asked, you know, what, what should white people do? What should people do to take us the next step? And the first step, I think, is what he said and what Yash said, too, is just listen. You know, people aren't asking us, and I say us as white people, to, mm-hmm. you know, throw money at things or or try and understand. It's just to listen and feel the pain of, of black people who have experienced this their whole lives. And, and hearing Billy and Yash talk about it, it if your listeners have the time, I think, it, and I'm not saying this to, to you know, read my stuff because I wrote it. I, I just transcribed what they said. I, it wasn't mm-hmm. my writing. So I think it's important for all of us to, to go read those and listen to those just to, to hear their perspectives. Because I think the more we listen to people who've been through this stuff more than we have, 
the better we'll all be for it. I appreciate, I mean, all the answers that you've been providing, I really appreciate just your perspective. And like I said, I, you know, I felt like I could extract that from all of your journalism and all your writing, but then to hear you right now talk about, um, you know, the human perspective and, and, and your approach and, and being open and being, and being mindful, rare breed, my friend. And uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on the Unknown Packers podcast. I have one final question for you as we wrap up Matt Schneidman on tap. And I'm curious, uh, you talked about in your article back on May 14th, quote, 10 Packers with most to prove, end quote. You listed Aaron Rodgers, I believe, at number six, and your number one player was uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, MBS. Uh, what do you feel Aaron needs to prove? I mean, I can assume, but I'm really curious your perspective. And with with MVS, there's a lot of talk. Actually, I'll, I'll wait for MVS. What is uh, what do you feel Aaron needs to prove this season? Yeah, I think for as much as he says the Jordan Love pick didn't, you know, add any extra motivation, and I believe him on that. I think more than anything, he wants to prove to himself that at age 36, he can still be elite. He can still be a top top five quarterback in the league, and I think he can. And this is just me opining, but I think the Jordan Love pick should add some extra motivation because Aaron Rodgers can go out this season. He has a chance to go out and prove to the organization that he's nowhere near dropping off and he's still at at an elite level, better than last year, and that they shouldn't have drafted him. And I'm not saying that's that would be his intention or his motive behind going out and playing well if he does play well this season. But I, I think, and this is just my my opinion, I think he has to prove that he's still got it. And I say that not only because he's a 36-year-old quarterback heading down the home stretch of his career, but there will be no spotlight, arguably no spotlight greater in the NFL than the one on Aaron Rodgers just because of who the Packers drafted in the first round. So I think he has a lot to prove in terms of where he's at in his career and why the Packers made the wrong decision. I'm not saying they made the wrong, I'm not saying they made the wrong decision because we don't know yet. Right. I can say they made a questionable decision, but I think if Aaron Rodgers comes out and, and lights the world on fire this year and plays with a chip on his shoulder and and says f you guys, you know, I'm still one of the best quarterbacks in the league, then I, I think that would definitely qualify as him proving something. So I've got a, a follow-up question with the Aaron Rodgers then that I did not provide in the agenda, so a little impromptu, but it just popped in my head. Say the Packers don't draft Jordan Love, do you st- would you still include Aaron Rodgers in your 10 Packers with the most proof? Good question. Um, no, probably not. <laughs> so it is all based on on the selection of Jordan Love, and I mean trading up. Right. As, you know, I don't think it, I don't know draft. if it's entirely based on that. I still think, like I said, you know, based on his age, he still wants to prove that he's not going to fade away like a like a Philip Rivers or an Eli Manning. Obviously, Rodgers is a different tier of quarterback than those guys anyway. But I think the majority of it has to do with, with Jordan Love. And at least from a public perspective, a lot of people will be looking at what he does this year. And a lot of people from the public eye, no matter what he says, will say he has something to prove um, because he, he has to prove that the Packers made the wrong decision. And I think that's a, a justifiable perspective. And with the final question, 
of Matt Schneidman on tap. We talked about Marquez Valdez, not we, um, myself and Ken talked about Marquez Valdez scantling in our latest episode, Showtime on Tap. Um, it was a question that Maggie uh, Loney had provided on um, an area that the Packers will progress in and an area that the Packers will regress in. I had articulated that the Packers will progress at the quarterback level or p- quarterback position because I think Aaron Rodgers will have a chip on his shoulder. Um, and also we have a bona fide backup for the first time in however long. Um, and that's not a knock on Tim Boyle, Manny Wilkins, um, Brett Hundley, but to trade up for um, the caliber of Jordan Love in the first round. For me, there's another silver lining of knock on wood if Rodgers were to get injured. Uh, I-, I do feel that Jordan Love has the mocks. He has, even though he hasn't even thrown a single pass in the NFL, I, I feel that the position got better with the selection of Jordan Love. One as a backup, and two, it gives an, um, some drive. The 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 regress um, for me going to games at Lambeau in warmer weather and and colder weather games. For some reason, uh, I gravitated to Marquez Valdez Scantling last year, and I started noticing throughout the season that um, his demeanor was very different in the earlier part of the season compared to. The second part of the season, and you know, if you look at it st- statistically, um, maybe you know there's some confidence issues. But for me, I wondered whether or not, and I hate using this term and throwing it around loosely, but a cold weather type of player, um, him being from South Florida, in those December and January games, uh, the Seattle game, the Redskins game, and the Bears game that I went to, I gravitated and watched Marquez Valdez Scantling during warmups, and he just looked. Cold. He looked fractured. Coach Elvis Wooded had to come up, and it seemed like had to pump him up. And then he was nowhere to be found uh, during the game. And I hate just you know bashing MBS. Um, I'm really excited, but I'm also wondering if I'm the only one that feels that maybe he's not in the on the right team, and maybe he's a great trade candidate if he starts off well uh, in the warmer uh, parts of the month. Um, would he be an option? to be a trade candidate. And please be as candid and be as honest as possible. Um, Maybe it's just me just thinking too much, but there's just something about that where I believe he has the ability. I just wonder if he'd be a trade candidate. And also, why was he uh, your number one player uh, to prove himself? Um, I I don't think he would be a trade candidate because I just don't know if the Packers would want to give him up for a sixth or seventh round pick, which is what I think they could maybe get for him. I think they'd rather take one more shot with him and, and see if he can rediscover what he showed in the first half of last season. I was watching back some Packers highlights mm-hmm. the other day, and you know he had that touchdown against the, I want to say it was... Is it the Raiders? No, well, I'm going in chronological order. So the Broncos on on the broken play or, or yeah. the free play, and then he had obviously the big catch against the Bears in week one. And he had the big catch against the Lions down the right sideline in week six. And then obviously that game against the Raiders when he was a little banged up, two for 133 and a touchdown. Um, right. And then after that, it was like five catches for 60 yards in the next 11 games or something like that. And toward the end of the season, he wasn't even playing. Like after that Raiders game, middle middle of the season, he was playing. He just wasn't getting targeted. But toward the end of the season, he wasn't even getting on the field. So when we asked Alvis Witted and, and LaFleur, they said, you know, it's competitive. He's still good. Da, 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 da. But I honestly think it's a, it's a confidence thing as cliche as that is. And 
step one to getting back into good graces is getting on the field. I don't know if it's he can't run routes, he can't catch the ball, whatever, but Marquez Valdez-Scantling can do something that nobody else on the team can do, and that's run as fast as he can. So he's going to get his shot to make it in training camp, but I put him at number one with most to prove because he needs to prove that he can get back to being that guy who was that speed deep threat last year and and the year before to a lesser degree because when people say oh the Packers didn't have a true number two and and Alan Lazard had to step up that's because Valdez Scanling dropped off the face of the earth and and the reason people are are calling for the Packers to draft a wide receiver is because Valdez Scantling disappeared so he has a lot to prove and he has to prove that the Packers made the right decision in not drafting another wide receiver to compete with him Listen, I could see Valdez Scantling being the number two next year. I could see Funches being the number two. I could see Lazard being the number two. Um, but I think in terms of improvement needed from, from second half of last year to, to this year, I think Valdez Scantling certainly has the most to prove. Do you think his drop-off was then more injury-related? And maybe that, you know, it just was happenstance where I was at these cold-weather games and he had already dropped off and his body language I mean, he's a South Florida kid, and it's not for everyone. Lambo's cold. I, I totally understand. I'm born and raised, and it's still cold for me. But do you think it was more injury-related? I know that he has um, some confidence issues, and again, I hate just throwing out and you know giving an autopsy on MBS, but do you think it was more injury-related for his drop-off? I don't know. Um, certainly nobody will say that, but it's certainly possible that Whatever injuries he had, I don't remember them off the top of my head. It, entering that week seven game lingered after he played through them. You'll remember Devontae obviously didn't play that game. Geronimo Allison and, and Valdez Scantling didn't practice all week. And then were, were game time decisions and they both played. So, you know, I think just we, we can only take what coaches and players and, and assistants tell us at face value. And what they said was, you know, he's just working through some things. He never really got a concrete answer. So that would lead me to believe that it's more mental and more tactical than injury related. Um, but I guess we'll see for certain in, in training camp in this season if he makes the team because he should be healthy now. So if he still can't rediscover that form, then I, I think that proves it isn't injury related. Well, there you have it. I, I appreciate you taking the time for jumping on the Unknown Packers podcast. Um, love your work with The Athletic. And um, once again, um, loved all your answers. And it gave me an opportunity um, to get to know you a little bit more. So thank you so much for coming on. Look forward to keeping in touch and making sure to reading your upcoming articles. Can you let all of our listeners, I'm, I'm assuming everyone follows and hopefully subscribes, but can you tell all our listeners where they can follow you and subscribe to your information and your to subscribe to your work? Yeah, I'm obviously at The Athletic. I'm just at Matt Schneidman on, on Twitter. It's just my name, all lowercase. Uh, we have a 30-day free trial starting today. That offer became available, I believe, on The Athletic. Actually, I don't believe I know that. Um, so you can get 30 days for free. If you don't like it after, after 30 days, you can cancel it, but don't start that trial for the Packers now because I still have a couple weeks of vacation to use since I haven't taken a day off since I started covering the team on July 22nd last year. So for the next week and a half, two weeks, I will not be writing anything because I am mandated by the company not to write anything. It's not because I'm just taking time off. So early July, get back on it, that 30 day free trial. 
content down your throats leading up to training camp during the season. So we would love if you if you came aboard. Well, thanks again, Matt, for coming on and looking forward to um, your upcoming work and have a great quote-unquote vacation. Uh, I'm hoping you, you get an opportunity to relax a little bit. I had no idea that you've been grinding since last year of July. Appreciate everything you do. And once again, thank you for coming on. I am your host, Bryce Christensen, and this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unknown Packers, as well as Facebook, Instagram, the Unknown Packers Podcast. You can check us out on our website, theunknownpackers.com, and a variety of different podcast platforms as well. You can also say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers Podcast. That's right. We're friends with Alexa. Go Pack Go. This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined.